This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Later this hour, our next spring reading suggestion from Pastor Clint Schneckloff. This time, a novel, The Art of Prophecy by Wesley Chu. First, the city of Springdale plans to install 10 traffic signal systems operated by artificial intelligence. After a successful year-long test at a key intersection, traffic officials say the AI-operated traffic lights will save time, money, and lives. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich has this report. Stoplights at the intersection of Highway 71B and Wagon Wheel Road in North Springdale have been operated by artificial intelligence for the past year. Kurt Reiter, signalization supervisor with Springdale's traffic division, opens a traffic cabinet, a large stainless steel box at the southwest corner, to show us the AI hardware. This is our new AI detection, and it communicates with the camera up at the intersection and then directly comes back into the controller to tell it, hey, we've got a car here and we need to serve it. The Traffic Link router manufactured by Canadian-based Myovision also allows Reiter to remotely monitor this intersection through which tens of thousands of vehicles pass per day. It does. It picks up motorcycles, pedestrians, uh, big trucks, normal, normal-sized vehicles. Uh, it can actually differentiate the difference between them by the size of the vehicle that it is. AI traffic lights are especially responsive to pedestrian traffic, he says, extending green lights to accommodate, for example, individuals in wheelchairs and families with strollers. This intersection here cost about $20,000 to install, and the prices have started to come down a little bit. I think we can replace this now for about fifteen. Mostly it's our vendor that builds the detection zones and everything. We can modify them if we need to, but they do most of the initial setup for us. Reiter says the new system is adept at assessing the absence of oncoming traffic. If somebody is not in a certain zone, then the light won't go to that zone, so it can move traffic, it can go where it needs to be. As traffic leaves an intersection detection zone, the light will change. Most traffic signals are put together on a time of day plan depending on how busy the intersection normally is at that time. But with this type of detection and its accuracy, we're able to give everybody ample time. And if it's not seeing anybody there in that zone, it can move on to the next phase and serve them. Conventional traffic lights also rely on digital video tracking camera detection centers, but use background subtraction to assess pixel changes, basically assessing shadows of oncoming and outgoing traffic. But AI traffic lights are much smarter. It's basically just looking to serve the vehicles there. If nobody's in that, like a left turn, it won't give a left turn signal come up. As for yellow lights through which drivers may speed? It really handles it no differently than any other detection does. Uh, Technically, you can enter an intersection past the stop bar as long as it's yellow, but as soon as it's red, you can't enter, so uh, the yellow's a clearance time. 
Reiter says conventional traffic sensors are mounted either as video cameras on traffic lights or embedded in magnetic induction loops beneath intersection road surfaces. Basically loops inside of the asphalt that would detect a vehicle, basically it'd see metal approaching and coming over the top of that that would trigger the light. But as they resurfaced the light, the roadways and stuff, they would get turned in, torn out, and we would have to rebuild it. And older traffic lights operate on fixed timers. They basically ran on a mechanical device, and it would just, as it went around, it would just change the light from one direction to the, to the next until they came up with a way to actually detect vehicles there in that location. The very first traffic light was installed in Cleveland, Ohio in 1914. The red, yellow, green traffic light was invented six years later and persists. Today, mobility analytics show that urban traffic congestion in the U.S. annually costs drivers 97 hours of personal time and over $1,300 in idling fuel. Reither attributes this to poor traffic detection. A lack of good quality video detection is the main main concern with them uh, and it could be a camera's out so it's not seeing anybody and it'll put the intersection in recalls and just go around and serve everybody make sure that everybody gets served but you don't know how many vehicles are there to serve so it, it can stay there quite a while at a bigger intersection Artificial intelligent traffic detection cameras read live footage to adjust traffic lights based on real-time vehicular ebb and flow, utilizing a type of learning known as deep reinforcement, reacting to negative outcomes to achieve ever-improving results. Reither says the MyoVision AI system has a perfect test record in Springdale so far with no false detections. Springdale counts a total of 84 traffic light intersections all of which will be outfitted with AI eventually. To start on May 23rd, Springdale City Council unanimously approved the purchase of AI traffic detection systems in phases. James Smith is director of public works for the city of Springdale. That's our budget for this year. That's our plans to purchase and install 10 more. The 10 new AI traffic lights, expected to cost around $150,000, will be located at intersections dealing with the most congestion. Well, Kurt's picked out a few already, and, and uh, Elm Springs being one, and then uh, Robinson out at the bypass being another, and then Don Tyson's another. We have a lot of traffic areas. And vehicles equipped with smart technology are able to communicate with AI traffic intersection detection systems, says Kurt Reither. They, they can. They, the, some of the technology that's out there now can actually speak with the uh, newer vehicles, like the Teslas and stuff, the smart vehicles. And if this direction was green, the side street had somebody red, and they were approaching the intersection, and the, the detection can tell how fast they're going, and it'll know that they're gonna run this red light, so it'll warn the other drivers with the green light that somebody's fixing to run the red light which adds to the safety of the safety of drivers is the most important part.
that we're trying to accomplish. This coming year, Springdale's Traffic Division plans to test a more advanced AI-enabled traffic detection system as they expand the technology across the city. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Later this hour, we'll continue to hear portions of the new podcast series Inspidando El Futuro, stories about Latina leaders in Northwest Arkansas. Unfortunately, not many people look to sponsor Hispanic women <laughs> trying to make their careers, right? There are people that will do it, definitely. But for the most part, you, I don't see it. That's during today's second half hour of Ozarks at Large. Support for KUAF comes from Westwood Gardens, featuring locally grown plants offering a variety of annuals, perennials, herbs, and more selected to perform well in Arkansas's summer heat. Westwoodgardens.com for more. The Momentary in Bentonville invites guests to discover a wide range of live music, immersive performances, art exhibitions, and so much more. Visitors can enjoy a variety of food and drink experiences. The Momentary is a platform for the art, music, and food of our time. More information at themomentary.org. As a KUAF listener, you expect to hear smart conversations about important issues every time you turn on the radio. KUAF brings you facts and analysis, not partisanship or hype, so you can form your own opinions about the news. If you count on KUAF for informed, insightful reporting, don't take coverage like this for granted. It's all made possible thanks to the generous financial support of listeners like you. You can support the programming you rely on right now by becoming a sustaining member at supportkuaf.com and thank you. If you have a business or organization within KUAF's listening area and want to support public radio while connecting our thousands of engaged listeners with your services, consider becoming a KUAF business member today. Starting at just $500, you'll be linked on our business members directory and mentioned during our spring and fall on-air fund drives. Sign up today at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Arkansas Congressman Bruce Westerman is asking the Veterans Administration to stop flying pride flags next to the American flag on VA grounds. In a statement, the state's 4th District Representative writes he's asked the VA to only fly state flags, the POW-MIA recognition flag, and the VA flag next to the American flag. Congressman Westerman says he's talked with the Secretary of Veterans Affairs about the matter. In his statement released yesterday, Congressman Westerman writes that he's disappointed that the VA, which he says is supposed to be apolitical, would find it appropriate to fly what he calls special interest and politically perceived flag. Talk Business and Politics reports Arkansas is experiencing the highest increase in availability of construction jobs in the country. From April 2022 to April 2023, Arkansas's increase in construction jobs grew by almost 10%. During that time, the number of construction jobs in Arkansas increased by about 5,500 positions to just fewer than a total of 62,000 construction jobs. Talk Business also reports in the most recent Metro Statistical Area report available, the Northwest Arkansas Metro added 1,300 construction jobs between March 2022 to March 2023 to a total of 15,400 such jobs. The eight surviving members of the Little Rock Nine made an appearance yesterday, accepting an award from the Rotary Club of Little Rock. 
They were the first black students to desegregate Little Rock Central High School in 1957, facing torment from white mobs and opposition from the state's governor at the time. Stephanie Street, executive director of the Clinton Foundation, read a letter from former President Bill Clinton congratulating them on receiving the Rotary Club's inaugural La Petite Roche Global Service Award. On that day in 1957, when you walked through the doors of Central High School amid vicious harassment, you created ripples that became waves of change, not just in the United States, but around the world. And your commitment to advancing civil rights, equality, and a more just future for all has been unwavering over the last 65 years. Elizabeth Eckford was just 15 years old when she first entered the previously all-white Little Rock Central High. She said the legacy of their actions has been re-examined in recent years in a more honest, frank discussion. Over the years, local people and Central High School students seem to conclude that public school integration happened here. That triumphal narrative of progress forever prevented a forthright engagement with the country's history and obscured persistent racial inequity in American society. Eckford and other members of the Nine spoke against the recent wave of controversy surrounding the teaching of the civil rights movement and critical race theory in schools, saying education on racism and bias should be accessible to students. Wilco will be playing in Bentonville this autumn. Yesterday it was announced the band is being added to the Momentary's Live on the Green series, and they'll be in concert October 27th. That concert series had already included performances by Wu-Tang Clan in October and Brothers Osborne next month. The University of Arkansas women's and men's outdoor track teams begin competition at the NCAA championships in Austin this week. The men are ranked number one in the country. The women are ranked third in the nation. Both Razorback teams won the NCAA indoors this year. The men will compete today and Friday, the women on Thursday and Saturday. Arkansas women's tennis freshman Carolina Gomez-Alonzo is the ITA Central Region Rookie of the Year. She's the third Razorback in history to earn that honor. She ended her season ranked 44th in the final ITA rankings and was also named the SEC Freshman of the Year. Theater Squared season continues this week with the company's premiere of Violet, a Drama Critics Circle Award for Best Musical. Set in 1964, the production takes us onto a Greyhound bus traveling from North Carolina to Tulsa. Yesterday, two of the actors from the T2 production came to the Carver Center for Public Radio. Ramon Nelson is Flick, a young man on his way to basic training in Fort Smith. Vincent Tennity portrays a TV preacher who one of the bus riders is traveling toward to be healed. Tennity has been part of previous T2 productions, the elaborate entrance of Chad Deedy and the Royale. Nelson is coming to the Fayetteville stage from New York and Broadway. And he says the main character in Violet is on a journey herself on that Greyhound bus. So the bus is um, helping the journey. Obviously, she's getting on a bus um, and heading to Tulsa, Oklahoma to uh, see a TV preacher to be healed of a scar when she was around 12 or 13. She was hit by an axe blade. Um, and so she's on this journey um, to get it healed. And that is the bus that you were talking about. It's a Greyhound bus, but um, it's from Spruce Pine, North Carolina to Tulsa, Oklahoma. To see a preacher. Uh, to see a preacher, yeah. 
Um, a lot of people, uh, when they first read the script, see the preacher as short, sort of a charlatan or a con man. But uh, I don't believe he is. I believe he really, truly does have the power to heal through his faith and through God. I think what you find out later is that he's sort of lost that mm. and he wants to get back to that. Um, but no, he's not a charlatan. He, he is a man of faith and a very strong man of faith. A bus, of course, is transportation. Can, can this be a metaphor? Are we seeing characters in transition? Multiple. I feel like everyone is on a journey in the show. Every single character from um, we have people who are literally like the character name is Passenger 1 or Passenger 5. Um, but everyone is having their own life journey. So we have like a couple who's have, who just had a baby in the back. Or me as Flick, I'm heading to um, my base camp in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Um, and so everyone is on their perspective journey, but we're all got on this bus at this one time in Spruce Pine, North Carolina, as most people do when they're getting on a bus. And you basically get together and all go on this journey together in one moment. Um, so it's pretty it's pretty cool to, to see. And along with that, n even those people that they meet that they're not on the bus mm -hmm. are also on their own journeys. Yeah. And I think by the end of the play, you realize that everyone who you've met, we all need each other to get to where we need to go. You know. All right. At the danger of really trying to make this conversation only about metaphors, let me go with this. <laughs> the way you describe, Ramon, the people on the bus and all together, the one time they're together and they're moving in a direction kind of makes me think of cast and crew of a play. This may be the only time, probably is the only time, you'll have this collection of director and actors and crew and set designer. And you may go on this journey several times over the course of the production schedule, but you're trying to get to one place together. Quite beautiful, this show. It's it's a, in Theater Squared, space is very intimate and the show itself is intimate and it's told in a way that well, you're gonna kind of have to like lean and lean in and be on the edge of your seat. One, because we're on a bus. So like there are times where people are sleeping on the bus or like people are getting off of the bus to go to a rest stop or whatever. But um, we, Theater Squared has done a great job of casting a group of people to come and just tell the story. Like it, we just want to tell the story to this community of Fayetteville, Arkansas, whoever else comes from the outskirts of Fayetteville. Um, but to tell this story with these people is probably, for me at least, will be a highlight in my career for sure because it's such a it's such a beautiful show, and there's it's a, such a small cast and we I look at these people every single day in the eye and it's just like man we are really here to tell this beautiful story and then like hang out in this cute little town of Fayetteville and like have a good time but it's such a short time and it's um, something that I will for sure cherish um, and from all walks of life I mean, yeah. there are people from la there are people from new york there are people from chicago there are the local actors here in northwest arkansas mm. uh so it's really fascinating where we're grabbing theater squared has the ability to pull people from last year it was atlanta you know and just different places and that's always fun when you first get in the into the rehearsal space and find out who you're working with um and going on a journey yeah I saw you in Chad Deity mm -hmm. and the Royale. 
Uh, and the Royale, yes. Yes. Um, and you, both of those times your characters were sort of, what would I say, not bombastic, but they were... Mm. Egocentric, egotistical, <laughs> loudmouth, obnoxious. Well, no. <laughs> I was going to say incredibly confident <clears throat> and perhaps willing to use other people for a means mm-hmm. to get to an end. Yes. Similarity, I know you said that this is not a con man, but... A TV preacher is someone who's also got to be confident and absolutely in your face. yes, and you'll and you'll definitely see that. Uh, I don't want to give away the the yeah, whole show. It's hard to it's like, hard to get you know yeah. be like you get this or you get this. <laughs> um, but you'll see his struggle. You'll see where he was at a height in his confidence and where he's at his absolute low. But while at the same time never allowing that to be seen via TV or whatever you know, or his or his congregation. Okay, don't want to give too much away from the set because the sets are always great at T2. And I, I one of the great Kim Powers has done a phenomenal Kim job. Kim Powers, who, yeah. One of the great things is to walk in, see it, and then see how it's used. Mm. But what can what without giving away too much? What can you tell us about the set? I'll take a shot at this one. Mm. Okay, okay. Um, Kim read the script, and it's obvious she did. Um, and what she's put together is. Pieces from everywhere. It's 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 scrapped together with pieces that you would find uh, walking out into an old antique, you know, barn or whatever. And that's how she pieced it together. And that's exactly what this play is about. Uh, what this musical is about is all these people that have been pieced together. And uh, it's really a, a, a gorgeous set. And uh, definitely has got that 1964 feel. Mm-hmm. Ramon, your character is going from North Carolina to Fort Smith. Mm-hmm. That's a long bus trip. Yeah. Have you ever taken a long bus trip? I have. Okay. I have. So have I. I have. I have. Does that inform how we'll see you on stage? Because there can be times on a long bus trip it's not easy to get comfortable. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, even that <clears throat> and that sent- that phrase, it's not easy to get comfortable. I mean, like, he is a black man in 1964 mm-hmm. who is um, dealing with the – the the world seeing him as less um but he is striving to his he has a song where he's literally just like one foot in front of the other that that's the whole thing just keep going um and on this bus he is just literally just trying to get to his next stop right as everyone is and along the way he is meeting people he meets violet who is making him question how how much he actually can do um, and how much he, how good he actually is. I think he's a confident person. He knows what he wants. He knows what he can get it. But I don't think he sees how far he can actually go until he meets Violet. Um, and so that is, is prop, one of the moments in the show where it's like, yeah, it's not easy. It's not necessarily comfortable, but it's, it's important. Um, and in that uncomfort, un- incom- uncomfortability, it's like... Um, you find a beautiful, I'm trying to say words that don't um, spoil the ending. <laughs> you know, like, but yeah, it, it, you find a, a, a beautiful resolution um, in who he, is, who he is and who he aspires to be. All right, here's a completely unfair question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Generally, I see the next to last or last performance mm-hmm. just because I'm a procrastinator. Mm-hmm. But I also, maybe I kid myself, but I think, oh, the, this is the most informed 
the performances will be. They've been with it the most. But the challenge there is if you get the flu, then you miss the show entirely. Mm-hmm. If you were to advise patrons, is there a difference between seeing it opening night and closing night? I would say coming early in the process, right after opening next day, uh, it's still very much alive in all of us. Mm -hmm. And there's that. It will be alive in four weeks, but it's just... Palpable? Yes. Mm -hmm. And we are all... Our senses are all at their highest. Mm -hmm. And so that's when you get the most... Live reactions and out of the out of the cast. Yeah. I, I'm going to let you speak. But. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think there's like, I try, especially with shows that are this um, intimate, to see things like this more than once because I don't I don't think it'll be the same. Like, of course, I don't think every show will be the same because it's there are scenes where we're literally just sitting on the bus talking to each other and looking this person in the eye. And today. I may sneeze in the middle mm. of my line, <laughs> and you which will, will happen have to, on a bus. You know right? that yes. will happen on a bus, and you have to re- wait and react to. You know, will that will he bless me? Like <laughs> you know, like you know, there are things. I just think there were in this show. It will never really be the same. Every show will not be the same because yeah. it's so quote unquote simple, but so complex. There are so many moving so, parts. Yeah, there's yeah. there's just a lot happening, and so. Yeah. Yes, I but I agree. And at the first this first week or work week or two, it'll be our 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 senses will be fresh and ready to and our vulnerabilities yeah. will be definitely uh, visible. Yeah, because <laughs> we'll be learning as we go. Because it's also a a thing of like how far can we go? You know how mm-hmm. how it, there's there's so much learning to do in the first week of how you can. Um, keep a show and that is maintainable but also fresh and alive um so yeah and finally ramon do i understand correctly that you are visiting us working here with us from new york yeah i'm recently moved to new york in august of 2021 um i graduated from florida state in may of 2021 and so yeah i've been in new york ever since he booked the Michael Jackson uh, Broadway show straight yes. out of college. He, <laughs> yes, just a little bit happened. of a dream. Yeah, you know that that happened. It was it's it's great. It's He's a, a phenomenal talent. It was it was uh, it was very it was out of the blue. Honestly, like I moved to New York thinking I was gonna go on a national tour, mm. um, and then my best friend who I was living with at the time was like, I don't think I'm going to do Michael Jackson anymore. And I was like, oh, no, I totally understand. Like, he was <laughs> doing other things. He was getting other work. And I was like, yeah, like, I get it. And then the next day I was at brunch with my friends and my agent called me and was like, hey, can you go in for an audition at 5 o'clock for future replacements for MJ? Because they knew I was going on a tour. Obviously, I cannot leave the tour because the tour, like, started rehearsals on that Monday. And I was like, yeah, I can go in. They'll reach out later down the line. And then I went in on Friday. or four hours post that conversation. Had the audition, put it on tape. The next day, my director or my agent was like, hey, the director wants to FaceTime you. And I was like, FaceTime wow. me? I was like, what do you mean? Like, what? why is he FaceTiming me? Like, we just, he just got my little tape, mm-hmm. like three minute tape, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and my work, and he probably like 
my resume and blah, 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 blah. But why is he FaceTiming me? I thought it was for future replacements. He's like, I actually think it's like for an immediate re replacement. Um, like, are you, would you consider like taking this job? And I was like, Think so. I think I didn't want to yes. be on Broadway. <laughs> you don't do have to it. ask me twice. Yes. Um, <laughs> Where do so I sign? Yes. He FaceTimed me, and then six hours later, I got the call. And that's, that's why I had to, then I had to figure out like adulting. I had to like find an apartment. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh God, and I have to pay bills, like, and do all this. But it was a, it's a beautiful um, show and a beautiful experience for sure. Well, thank you both for coming in. Thanks for returning. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks and, for having uh, us. As long as they have me back, I'll keep coming. <laughs> right, right, right. Vincent Tennedy and Ramon Nelson are part of the cast of Theater Squared's production of Violet, opening this weekend at T2 in downtown Fayetteville. They spoke with me yesterday. The University of Arkansas at Fort Smith offers students more than a diploma. UAFS offers students a resume, putting knowledge to work since 1928. UAFS.edu slash join the pride. This is Ozarks at Large. The need for representation of Latinas in leadership positions in the workforce is high, yet there are Latina women pushing for more visibility such as Irelia Navarro, who's carving a path of change through her leadership and experience. Hi, my name is Wendy Echeverria. In this third episode of Inspirando el Futuro, Stories about Latina Leaders in Northwest Arkansas, you'll meet Irelia Navarro. Irelia is the Vice President of Business Development at Pfizer, a technology company, and she's the head of operations for the Northwest Arkansas Hispanic Leadership Council. This spring and summer, we're sharing excerpts from Wendy's podcast. Even though the Latin community is growing rapidly in the United States, the number of Latinas in leadership roles is growing at a slower rate. According to a USA Today report, Latina and Hispanic women make up 1.6% of senior executives in leading companies in the country. Today's excerpt from Wendy explores the importance of Latinas, in leadership roles. According to a 2022 report from Pew Research, Hispanic and Latin American student enrollment at four-year colleges in the U.S. reached a new high. The report showed that from the year 2000 to 2020, the quote, number of Latinos enrolled at four-year institutions jumped from 620,000 to 2.4 million, a 287% increase. And student enrollment is only expected to rise as the Hispanic, Latino, and Latina population grows. Something Dr. Bonilla Rodriguez says is important when it comes to representation in different spaces, but should not be where we stop. So what we have to do is continue the education process, and that is not just formal education. Yes, we need to continue to encourage Latinas to access higher education, formal education, you know, to continue to earn those degrees, because although you don't see an immediate return in terms of financial compensation, sometimes it's those degrees that get you in the door, right? But also informal education in terms of educating Latinas to the realization that we can pursue these leadership roles, visible leadership roles, at all levels in every sector across the United States and globally because we deserve to be there, because we have something to contribute, because our passion and the way that we care about others and the way that we build community is necessary in this overly political, insensitive culture that we are currently experiencing where people don't necessarily care about other people. And that's what, what we're seeing turning into violence, turning into fighting and anger. 
And I believe that we have these skill sets that we bring that builds community in a way that we really could make a difference. Dr. Bonilla Rodriguez is right. As Latinas, we can obtain leadership roles and should because many of us care and we're passionate about helping others and bring a different perspective to the conversation. One way to unleash more confidence in ourselves to become the leaders we want to be is by exposing the lies that as leaders we need to know everything or that we cannot make mistakes and understand that even when we feel like we're not capable, we can do anything. It's important that we debunk those myths that you have to be perfect in order to be a leader, that you have to have it all figured out. You're speaking through your work for people that need you to be their voice. And I'm speaking for people. Some of those may cross over and some of them may not. You may reach people that I won't and I may reach people that you won't. And that's why it's important for us to frame leadership for every individual to have access to the thought that they can be a leader in their own space. Around 10 years ago, Dr. Bonilla Rodriguez conducted research and wrote a dissertation on Latinas in leadership. She focused on some of the obstacles and positive aspects that were connected to Latinas. She also classified some important characteristics to Latinas who are leaders. Part of my research was an opportunity for Latinas across the country to self-identify, to reflect on what they bring to the leadership journey and celebrate in some ways. What I realized was the, the pressure that we were talking about earlier that Latina leaders feel in terms of being good at everything all the time, possessing every characteristic, you know, it's not realistic. In terms of my research, I tried to synthesize how could I make it digestible so that an individual who is younger, who is newer to the workforce, who is maybe returning to the workforce after taking a leave for any reason, who is shifting career paths, who's just pursuing a leadership role, even if they've been in the workforce for a long time, how could they process what I've gathered here and, and just sort of highlight the couple of characteristics that stood out most Dr. Bonilla Rodriguez says she found 43 characteristics a Latina possesses, but narrowed it down to four, which were being positive, creative, passionate, and a good listener. And in order to identify these, she collected surveys from more than 300 Latinas and four interviewees from all over the U.S. And they make sense, right? The, the positivity, the good listener, the passion, if you think about yourself, you're likely going to see those characteristics. And some of those are culturally, culturally encouraged characteristics, if you think about it, right? Um, don't air your dirty laundry. You put a smile out there. Don't, you know, everybody doesn't have to know your troubles. Just, you know, kind of keep facing. Some of it is good. Now, the way we got to them is not good, right? We should be able to seek professional help if we need it, if we're working through a dynamic. We should be able to talk about problems in a way that allows us to problem solve with other people. We should be able to access support in that way, but it's a good thing to be positive. It's a good thing to be creative. It's a good thing to have passion about what you do. And so by creating 
by highlighting what stood out in terms of the top few characteristics, but then also by creating categories to group together characteristics, I was able to pull together a piece that could bring clarity to an individual that could create a vision for you, you know, or help you create that vision that could be a pathway where you could say, all right, this is the category where I can most align with. I want to work on fine-tuning those skill sets and characteristics because I see myself as that kind of leader. But even though Latinas have strong and significant characteristics when it comes to leadership, there are still some issues when it comes to obtaining those roles. And some may not want to express or talk about them because of the way they may be viewed. The issue is that people do not always acknowledge that there are issues, right? So sometimes you talk publicly about some of the challenges that you face and people say things like, that's a victim mentality, or, you know, you are um, perpetuating staying as a victim. No, there's a reality that happens that we experience that is the hindrance of Latina leadership through many of these experiences and, and systemic issues as well. But um, one of the things that I discovered is that not having mentors, um, these lack of opportunities that exist because of systemic issues, the cultural obligations and the family responsibilities were areas where Latinas were feeling, this is hindering me, right? So not being able to see myself in someone that has succeeded, reach out to someone and talk with them about how I can improve myself, how I can make my journey better. The cultural obligations, those gender expectations we talked about, but also family responsibilities and obligations. The reality that I may not be able to go abroad for my company because I have responsibilities here to, to take care of my parents or other relatives, or I'm the breadwinner for the family. That means I may not access opportunities in the same way as someone else. And, and those are all opportunities that can help you grow in the workplace and be able to open doors for you. Dr. Bonilla Rodriguez says it's essential to create a career path for ourselves. We can then help others wanting the same, whether it be through mentoring or sponsoring them. Sadly, Irelia Navarro says Latinas lack sponsorship, something that could help them advance in their careers. Unfortunately, not many people look to sponsor Hispanic women <laughs> trying to make their careers, right? There are people that will do it, definitely. But for the most part, you, I don't see it. Perhaps uh, it's not as common, or maybe I'm just not aware. Sponsorship is different from mentorship. Mentors guide and can help when it comes to a person's career. Experts say a sponsor advocates and speaks for a person even when they are not present. In other words, a sponsor vouches for another individual when opportunities rise. However, Latinas are not the only ones who lack sponsorship. Unfortunately, at times, other women from different backgrounds do as well. And although some may not immediately desire to sponsor another person, Dr. Damari Bonilla-Rodriguez says leaders must speak up for those who cannot. When you are at a level that you're able to open a door for another Latina or Latino, are you doing that? 
Irelia Navarro's hard work and determination helped her advance in her career, but the support from her peers and leaders also played a big part. The, one of the biggest accomplishments for me is being able to get that additional support from others, uh, people who were interested and were really caring and uh, really uh, view me as uh, having potential. And those were the ones that helped me move into new roles and new opportunities. Today, Irelia is giving back to her community by supporting other young Latino and Latina rising leaders. Esperanza El Futuro, Stories About Latina Leaders, is hosted and produced by Wendy Trevilla. We'll hear more excerpts from the podcast through the spring and summer. You can hear full episodes by clicking on the local podcast choice under the Listen tab at KUAF.com. A Fayetteville artist, muralist, and business owner will be working in Washington, D.C. this summer as part of the Smithsonian Folklife Festival. Olivia Trimble, the owner of Sleet City Art and Supplies, will have 20 of her hand-painted signs as well as a 700-square-foot mural featured at the event taking place on the National Mall. She'll also work with visitors to the festival on a collaborative quilt mural. The festival, devoted this year to the Ozarks, is produced by the Smithsonian Center for Folklife and Cultural Heritage. It will last from June 29th through July 9th. The 72nd season of Opera in the Ozarks kicks off June 23rd at Inspiration Point in Eureka Springs with 22 performances over four weeks. Featuring 40 premier vocalists from across the nation performing Donizetti's Elixir of Love, Copeland's The Tender Land, and Offenbach's Orpheus in the Underworld. Tickets and season schedule at opera.org. This is Ozarks at Large. With me at the Carver Center for Public Radio is Pastor Clint Schneckloff, lead pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. We continue our spring series of book discussions. You have a beautiful book. Oh, first of all, welcome back. Thank you. Great to be here. <laughs> you have a beautiful book in front of you. It, you know, okay, so I'm, I'm friends with the author on social media, and he loves his own covers. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and, this is gorgeous. Which he, he should, right? Yeah. It's uh, works really hard to find artists that make these um, amazing covers. And then it's even oh. pretty on the inside, too. And I will tell you, I think I've told you this in the past, I open up a book and there's a map, I'm instantly 50% more likely to read this book. Yeah, right? And this one's like a color map printed yes. on the inside of the uh, front cover, which is just really, really great. So the author is Wesley Chu. Yes. And the book is The Art of Prophecy, The War Arts Saga, book one. A novel. It's a novel, yeah, yeah. Um, it is in the, or influenced by, I guess you could say, the Wuxia uh, tradition, which is um, like the Asian martial arts. Oh, okay. There's, um, he, he gives credit in the acknowledgments that this is like been a you know a goal of his is to to write a novel like this it's in that tradition because he spent a lot of his growing up watching all these um, martial arts movies mm -hmm. 
And he actually uh, was in film for a while and did like I, I think like stunt double type stuff. Okay. Um, so has f- personal familiarity with some of the um, martial arts traditions that are represented in the book. But it's a fantasy novel, so the what's what's in the book are martial arts traditions developed for the fantasy world. Sure. Okay. That's may good. or may not be Look, things you can actually do. Right. Right. Like catch the air and fly up into the sky by holding onto a stream of air. But I mean, you think about even um, mainstream movies like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm-hmm. You know, they they embrace that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Martial arts as a basis, but you would. Perhaps exaggerate. And Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon would be the most prominent example of okay. like what this represents. So you know how they'll very lightly run over the top of yes, beautiful. And it, it's so the treetops. Yeah. Or, yeah, and that's the kind of uh, stuff that people will periodically do within this novel. Okay. Um, and it is beautiful, and that's one of the cool things about the book. Um, one of so it's a great narrative and I'm looking forward to the next volumes. I think the the Art of Destiny is coming out like this year, which is the second volume in this series. But uh Chu is r- amazing at at writing the fight scenes, which I don't think would be easy because you've got to write them so we can visualize them. Right. But they can't be stilted. Nope. And this has already been optioned for television. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably at least in part because he is so good at writing those fight scenes. And so you you can imagine them as you're seeing them happen. Um, and they're funny a lot of the times. Um, so in the same way that you maybe you've seen movies where people are having this like banter while they're trying to kill each other, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Not Quentin Tarantino. Or, yeah, yeah, right. Um, there, there's quite a bit of that in this book. So um, what what I found... Uh, what initially drew me in was I do like a good fantasy novel, mm-hmm. but then what has really drawn me along in the book is like, I, I mean, I, I don't do martial arts myself and I don't even do like fighting other than like, you know, shadow boxing with the kids periodically right. used to be funny. <laughs> um, but that's part of the reason why I like this book in particular so much is it moves me into this other tradition that I don't know that much about. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is, this is a really accessible entry point into kind of that Wuxia. Are there other fantasy elements in this book, The Art of Prophecy, other than the sort of martial arts? Yeah, based? so there's kind of like this. Um, one is this whole thing of like there's this guy who has a certain kind of destiny that falls through. And then there's another one who is supposed to be like the great Khan, like the great leader, and he's... Uh, killed very ignobly mm-hmm. um, by a bunch of troops, and then so things are kind of a mess within the between the nations, and each one of the nations both has its own kind of like culture, but then there's these different fighting schools. So with the cultures, some of them are fascinating. Like there's one culture that kind of has this like steampunk thing where they have mobile cities, mm-hmm. you know? Right. I I'm still trying to figure out exactly how they work. Because it's different than like some of the mobile cities you've seen in film, but they have like these pods that they live on that move around over the sea of grass, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's really cool. They're like they're they're like mobile cities that are also mobile armies or almost like war machines kind of things, or they can function as war machines. 
And then the, the different schools have <clears throat> different powers that, that you access your Jing in different ways. You know, so like shadow kills are people who can, if, you, if they've got a, access to a shadow at a, on a wall, they can actually disappear into the shadow and then emerge. Well, I find that really shadow, scary. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere I, else. Yeah. Um, or Taisha, uh, one of the main characters, her school is more around accessing the movements of the air. And so she can strengthen her movements with that or, in, in one instance, um, escape the shadow kills by grabbing hold of a spiral of air that goes up into the sky. It sounds like uh, Mr. Chu is also good at world building. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is something where I, I don't know if this is a byproduct of me being um, midlife now, but <laughs> it's hard. Like, I've started to get to the point where I feel sometimes a little saturated. Like, how many more worlds do I yeah. want to know? And there's also so, just so much being produced. Oh, between television and film and literature and online, right. you can't keep up. You can't. No, you, you literally can't keep up right. because there's whole – I mean, it, could, it might take you your entire life just to read the fantasy production of like up some of the authors that just are so prolific. Right. Um, so I'm a little bit uh, careful anymore about how many of those I jump into. But I have really been enjoying um, this kind of like – uh, the, um, a book that is celebrated a lot along the same lines as this one um, that I read last year is uh, um, She Who Became the Sun, mm -hmm. which was a Hugo nominee and is the same kind of thing, uh, like a Wuxia-themed novel. And there's something about that that has allowed me to re-enter fantasy spaces. I think maybe I got a little bit tired of a lot of the Western fantasy tropes that I was raised on. Right. And so this opens that up in a new way for me. Well, and it's so interesting because you're a bit younger than me, but you're raised on these Western tropes, but they were the only ones you could get your hands on. Yeah. Right? So you were immersed in them. Right. And now, even though there's too much to keep up with, there's so many more opportunities. You right. can be a bit more selective. And I'm aware... I'm still reading people who are kind of like crossover people, like they're living in both worlds. Mm -hmm. It's a whole other step to like truly access stuff that's like in entirely embedded within other cultures. Right. And, and, and that's cool too. Requires at least a translator because I don't read uh, much outside of English. Right. But, um, the, this, is a this novel is especially, well, the novel's beautiful. So if you can get a hold of the one that has the, the color map. The color map and the cover art. That's awesome. I will say, though, that I've been listening to this book um, as an as a audible. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the woman who reads it also read uh, She Who Became the Sun, that other novel that I mentioned. And she's incredible. Um, so it's already good as a read. But if you like to listen to somebody read a book to you, right. I highly recommend. Um, I think it's Natalie Naudis is the reader. Excellent. And so I highly recommend it. All right. Finally, I'm going to ask you because it looks like it might be about 300, 400, 500 pages. Is it uh, – can you get immersed in it? I mean, can it be a page turner? Oh, uh, it's really a page turner um, because it really just moves between two basic uh, – in this way, it's like a lot of fantasy novels. You know how people are – 
chasing down some kind of quest or sure. trying to get somewhere or whatever. There's two kinds of tracks of that, and it's taking you through the world. But each one of them, there's it's high stakes. Okay, they're being they're being chased, uh, or they're things are time sensitive, and so um, yeah, it's entirely um, immersive and and uh, it's a really fun novel. The Art of Prophecy, Wesley Chu, the first in. A series. I think it's going to be a trilogy. Yeah. And it may go to television. Yeah. Well, all right. Pastor Quinn Schneckloff, thank you so much. No problem. This week on the Vinyl Hour, local band Sad Palomino stops by to talk about their new album and the songs that inspired it along the way. I would write the song mostly from guitar. I was writing alone for the most part, so I was always expanding and challenging myself just from the one instrument. That's this Saturday at 5 on KUAF. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bella Vista, and Osage. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors to our program today included Jacqueline Froelich, Wendy Echevera, and Pastor Clint Schneckloth. We also had additional assistance today from the news team at KUAR Radio, Public Radio for Little Rock and all of Central Arkansas. We're back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 for a brand new Thursday edition of our program. You can also download or subscribe to the absolutely free Ozarks at Large podcast that uh, lets you listen to our show on your schedule it's available at KUAF.com or wherever you're already getting your podcasts. And if you ever miss a show, you can find out what you missed if you subscribe to the free Ozarks at Large KUAF daily email newsletter. It arrives every Monday through Friday morning, lets you know what was on the previous day's show while providing direct links to those pieces, interviews, and stories. You can sign up for free at KUAF.com. Today's show produced inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kelms. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with us.